you know, sort of this idea that if you love, you set it free, right? That this idea that, that, you know, to really love a place, the answer may be to walk away from it. Right. Um, right. That, that if, if, you know, that if, if that place is really worth protecting, protecting means that, that, um, you know, that you let it, that you let it be. And there aren't a lot of places in this world these days that you can go and, 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 and really, you know, really be away from it all. Right. Like, I mean, really, um, you know, days in any direction, uh, not have the built environment, not have machinery, not have other people that you can really go and, and there be silence. That was photographer Ben Huff. And for him, photography is gloriously incomplete. It has the potential to start a conversation, but it takes the viewer to finish it, to bring their own history and their own knowledge to the table and fill in the blanks. That's one of the things that's wonderful about photography, he says. It prompts a narrative. It introduces a concept or an idea for further examination. Much of his work is interested in exploited landscapes, in the things that we've brought to places. His recent book, Atomic Island, details the U.S. military occupation of Adak Island during World War II and the aftermath of their departure that left so much abandoned infrastructure and debris. So here he is, Ben Huff. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum. Dedicated to exploring Alaska's identity through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past, present, and future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. Do you consider yourself a photographer or a storyteller? Ah, uh, that's a really great question. Um, you know, I, I think I would, I think I would hedge it a touch. Um, and I think myself, I think of myself as an artist. Uh, and I, and I say that sort of in a way of hedging in that I, I feel like it's sort of a catch all for a lot of different things, right? Um, Mm -hmm. whether it's photography, whether it's, um, bookmaking, whether it's writing, uh, there's a lot that I can sort of, sort of shoehorn into that word that, that maybe photography doesn't quite, um, capture, uh, maybe storytelling is sometimes maybe too small of a small of a term. So without being too coy, I think I would uh, I would settle on sort of that catch-all of of artist. What do you think that artistry encompasses that storytelling and photography doesn't? Um, I guess I think of uh, that's a really great question, and I'm and I'm, I'm these aren't this isn't sort of an answer that I've. I guess I really sort of formulated or thought about before, but you know, I think of of art as being a vehicle for um, a vessel for ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it can be something that is that is story based. It can be something that's um, that's visceral. It can be something that is uh, that that brings up memory. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the idea of storytelling lately and, and just having this conversation a while, while back with someone 
about the fact that that photography as an art form we lend we, we lean on these words that are based in literature right we we talk about story we talk about narrative we may even talk about a protagonist or an arc um i don't know that that it that it's 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 helpful but it it doesn't entirely pin down what photography is and what photography is really good at you know um mm -hmm. i think you know what i'm doing in the way that i think about it as um art and not journalism for instance um and not to say that art is better than journalism or journalism is better than art it's not it's not a hierarchy thing but they're they're different ways of of articulating something they're different ways of having a conversation and sometimes it can be uh, sort of narrative based i think of stories and i think that if there's a beginning and there's a middle and an end and at the end you come away with with an idea of what the story is about right mm -hmm. and if 10 of us all read the same story we'd all come away and say oh well we can talk about how that story ended and there's a and there's a shared uh, uh idea or or sort of, of of vernacular for how you know how that story wrapped up um and i'm sort of interested in photography that that doesn't wrap up quite as easily right that someone can walk into an exhibition or even pick up a book uh, and get to that last page. And the want is not to say, I just, you know, learn something as much as it is. I need to go back and see that again. I have more questions than I have answers. Um, I'm interested in that sort of, of uh, messiness and things that you can't entirely pinned down. And when I think of storytelling, I think of something that, that should be to some degree concise and to have, maybe not concise, but to have uh, an ending in mind. And I'm, I'm never really thinking about that um, with bodies of work in the way that I would if I was um, writing again to sort of lend, you know, lend that terminology or, or take that terminology from. So photography is more open-ended than literature. I think so, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think it. I think photography. Um, it points to stories, right? It 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 maybe starts a story. It takes the viewer to finish it, right? I can't, um, nor do I want to. I think one of the things that's, that's really wonderful about photography is it is it 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 prompts a narrative it has the capacity to um, start something and to give it some form and to give it some mystery or to maybe start a narrative if we want to use that terminology mm -hmm. and then it, it really requires the viewer to come in with their own you know history and baggage and, and intellect and, and wh whatever it is that they're bringing to the table or whatever they're they're bringing to the work um, and and complete it in a way and I, I think for me, photography, that's that's kind of everything, right? Being able to to release something into the world um, and to know that you've had, you know, tremendous, I mean, you know, you're, you're up to your shoulders and up your elbows into it the whole time, right? And mm -hmm. in the edit and, and, and how you think that something functions and how this picture leads to this picture and how this picture might inform this picture and you sort of have these little 
these little pictures, you know, spread along through the through maybe the edit of a book or an exhibition um, that that maybe even disrupt what you've done up to that point. Um, and all of that takes great care. But at the end of the day, you know that once once it goes on the wall, once it goes in a book, um, your control over it is it, you don't have control over it anymore. Um, you can't fashion the ending the way that you could if you were writing uh, a short story, for instance. I took a couple notes just then, and let me know if this is on the mark or if I'm totally off, but you think that photography is incomplete by itself and that it starts a conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Gloriously incomplete. Yeah, I do. I do. I think it's, um, we talk about, uh, you know, this idea of, of, of truth in photography, for instance, which is kind of another discussion, but the idea of something being, you know, truthful, right? Nothing can ever be like the truth, but it can be a truth. Mm -hmm. um, when I'm putting together pictures, putting together an edit, making a body of work, you know, everything that I've gone through to do that, right? Everything before and after a certain picture, all the connections that I've made, all the, all the um, experiences that I've had and the, the weather and the time, you know, getting there and coming home and all the relationships and all the conversations, all of those things aren't aren't visible to the person on the other side, right? If I make a mm -hmm. portrait of someone, the only thing, especially if I'm not, you know, offering captions or any real context, you know, the only thing that a viewer has of that, of that portrait, for instance, is, um, you know, what they're, what they're wearing, right? What's that background? What may or may not be, um, you know, the expression on their face or um, a gesture or, whether they're alone, whether they're with someone, um, you know, possibly their gender, um, you know, all of those things are so small compared to who that person is. Um, the picture is just, I mean, it's, it's, it's not inconsequential, um, but it's so, so small versus the totality of what that person is. Right. Um, and photography can just give, it can only give the surface, right? The, the all photography is simply the record of light bouncing off a surface. That's it. Uh, which is, is the most powerful thing in the world. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's wholly incomplete. I think. I like this idea of photography being incomplete. And I feel like there's a question in that you appreciate that you appreciate the incompleteness about it when you're you know looking for other media to be entertained by to learn from do you also look for other maybe incomplete media or media that you perceive as incomplete um i think it depends on what it is right i think you know if we're talking specifically about photography um, you know, there, there are, you know, there's a myriad of ways that you can apply photography, right? Mm -hmm. Um, if I'm, you know, right now, 
especially with the news, right? I, I, the, the, the contract, if I'm just talking as a viewer right now, the contract with a journalist um, reporting from Ukraine, for instance, is completely different than the contract with an artist, right? My expectations of a journalist is totally different than my expectations from an artist. Um, there, there are different ways of using this tool um, to different ends uh, entirely. Um, from the standpoint of, you know, music, you know, if I have a song that, that I don't even know entirely what the lyrics mean, but some, I don't know what the lyrics meant to the person who wrote it, um, but somehow it touches me deeply. The fact that I don't know is, is kind of wonderful, right? If I get to the end of a movie, um, you know, you see a movie in a theater and that last scene hits and the lights come up and everybody in the theaters goes, what the heck just happened? There's something really great about that. You know, um, Dorothea Lange's Migrant Mother, the reason that that po photograph is so powerful or, or before it, the Mona Lisa, um, not that I'm, you know, making the Mona Lisa Migrant Mother, but, but the, the power of those images is, is a lot of that power comes from the fact that we, we don't know a lot about them, right? That there is some mystery that we're given space, not even given space We're 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 sort of, of, of um, it's incumbent upon us to form some sort of narrative because the narrative isn't, isn't explicit. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, the idea of, of looking at a photo like Migrant Mother and being able to, because I looked it up and I'm, I'm looking at it right now, yeah. and being able to, um, you know, what is she thinking about? What's going on? You know, like there's, there's so much that you can interpret from that, but also kind of like supplant your own ideas about what's going on. I mean, you can, you can form a completely fictionalized narrative just based on looking at something like that. For sure. Right. Because we don't know who she is. She can be anyone. She can be any one of us, right? The children can be, our children can be anyone's children. Um, there's uh, yeah, there's there's such magic and power in in that, and I think as much power for um, the viewer as for uh, the photographer, right? Like there's there's some agency in in viewing an interpretation and in retelling of stories uh, based around images. Um, again, which is I can't, I kind of can't get away from, um, you know, Ukraine and that conflict right now, but, but mm -hmm. it's interesting right now that everything is, we might finally be social, finally find social media actually living up to its potential to some degree, but it's all, you know, everything we know is, is all of the emotion is based on, um, stories and pictures and, and, um, um, you know, anecdotal accounts of, what is going on, you know, in, in five years, 10 years from now, a lot of the pictures we're seeing today that, that have a tremendous amount of context around them. Um, some of those pictures will, will sit, you know, at some distance from that context, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of a whole nother story. And I don't know entirely why I went there, but it's, it's, I'm infinitely interested in, in, in how we, you know, how pictures, 
function, how they function, you know, in in alignment with or or out of alignment with how they're intended to function. Uh, it's, I think it's not to get too sort of grandiose here, but it's, uh, I think it's one of the reasons photography is one of the most exciting mediums in my mind is it's still in such a, it, it's still to some degree sort of in its, in its infancy and, and evolving with the rest of the world. Right. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned migrant mother and Mona Lisa, but what other photos come to mind when you think of ones that have stuck with you or influenced you in one way or another? Oh man, there's so many, uh, you know, if we were in my studio right now, which is where I am in downtown Juneau, I mean, there's over a hundred, hundred photography books here, you know, by other, uh, other artists. Um, and every day, I'm, you know, pulling something off and you know, looking for, looking for something or looking for a piece of text. Um, the most recent book that I've just received, and, and, I, and I say this just because probably the photographer that's represented the most in this library um, is Robert Adams. Uh, Robert must be in his 80s or so now, lives in Astoria, Oregon. Um, most of his career and sort of the, the photographers, the photographs he's most known for are on the front range of Colorado. Um, and a photographer that I, I don't, I don't, I think it's okay to steal as an artist that I wouldn't say that I'm stealing, but I, it seems like every body of work that I've ever made, there are a couple pictures that, that somehow lend from him or, or try to speak to something that he's made. Um, some of his work from a body of work, a book called the new West from the front range of Colorado that I lived in Colorado for a bunch of years. And, and, uh, it wasn't work that I knew that well at the time. Uh, I kind of discovered it a little bit more intimately once I had moved to, uh, moved to Alaska, but some of those pictures on the front range of Colorado in, in like 1970s tract housing and new developments in Colorado Springs right there on the front range are incredibly influential. Uh, there's one picture of a, of a, um, oil rig burning off out, out East somewhere on the plains, just this big billowing, uh, billowing black cloud of smoke, um, with the Rockies just sort of very faint off in the distance. Uh, you know, Colorado high, bright Colorado light. Uh, that picture is one that's, that's stuck with me for, yeah, for a lot of years. If I were to sort of pin down maybe one, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but. I wonder, and I've, I've encountered this a few times with photographers, um, really with creatives in general, but they either consciously or unconsciously are influenced and try to replicate in some way the, the art that they're influenced by or the artists that they're influenced by. Do you have maybe a, a photograph that you feel is comparable to something that you feel like you were influenced by, by Robert Adams? Um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say comparable to necessarily, but there are certainly some pictures that, that, uh, yeah, that I've, I've, 
I've tried to maybe extend the conversation. Uh, in, in, in Atomic Island, there's a picture of, um, of the Culloch Bay neighborhood. I'm standing on top of this water tower hill and um, it's a very early morning. It's sort of blue and all these little candy colored houses are in the foreground mm -hmm. um, with Sweeper Cove off in the distance. Um, in that neighborhood, I, I, I thought of Robert Adams a lot during different seasons, um, especially, especially in the summer and in the spring when I'd be making pictures in that neighborhood. Uh, a lot of the, you know, the small sort of, sort of, you know, slung low ranch houses that, that he took a lot of pictures of in say the seventies. But there's, there's one picture where he's also, um, at sort of a high vantage point. Um, and there, they might even be trailer homes. If not, they're very sort of compact ranch houses. And he's sort of at a higher distance and he's looking out and, and the, and there's a, a mountain on the horizon. Um, the perspective is very similar to this picture. Uh, and I, and I, I knew that when I made this, this picture, there's not an awful lot of places. There's not a lot of vantage points at this elevation on top of the, of the water tower Hill. You kind of, there's, you know, a hundred yards, maybe in either direction, probably not even that. So there's, there's not a lot of vantage points to make this picture, but, but on the ground, it didn't work. Like I needed that elevation and I knew making it that, that to some degree I was, I, I was, I was aware of that picture um, by Adams. I was aware of, of, of his, the conversation he was having about, you know, sort of, of the, the, the incursion of suburbia in the wild west, mm -hmm. uh, this idea that, that ADAC and these houses were sort of the, the ultimate, you know, suburban sprawl reaching all the way to the Aleutians and sort of the absurdity of that. And, you know, and I made that picture absolutely with, with that image of Robert Adams in, in mind and not to, you know, not to rip it off necessarily, but to take the conversation that he had started and, and just move it further west, I guess. Mm -hmm. And your latest book, the one you're talking about, mm -hmm. Atomic Island, details the U.S. military occupation of Adak Island during World War II and then the aftermath of that departure does that sound like an accurate description of the book yeah yeah certainly i mean the, the, most of the architecture within the 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 book um you know most everything that was around in world war ii uh you know had been supplanted by uh cold war architecture right most of the quonset huts and the things that were around in the late 30s and early 40s were um you know most of the architecture now with the you know the 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 houses uh, in particular are all later Cold War era architecture. But yeah, I mean, it was made, you know, it was, it was started by World War II um, and then, you know, reappropriated for the Cold War later. Yeah. Why did you name the book Atomic Island? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I, for the longest time, you know, titles are really important. Uh, oftentimes I kind of can't wrap my brain around kind of what I'm doing until I kind of have a name for it and sort of a direction. Um, things that I've made up to this point have been, you know, titles that I've, that I've either borrowed from uh, someone else, borrowed from a writer, borrowed from um, something that, that is 
has some poetry to it or has some, um, you know, has some sort of lyrical uh, nature. Mm -hmm. With this work kind of twofold, I, I, I was looking for something that was a little bit more uh, percussive, um, almost like lowercase a aggressive. Uh, I wanted to point to um, this idea of of a nuclear landscape, right? Like the, the place seems now so, uh, actually in the last few days with Ukraine, maybe a little less so, but, but it seems so sort of, of uh, banal um, and seems so faded and so irrelevant. Uh, but the reason that it was there was, um, you know, because of this threat of, of nuclear war, because of, of World War III, um, you know, potentially, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, going out there at the start, you know, you sort of start something not knowing what you're going to find, not knowing entirely what the thread is, maybe not knowing entirely, again, to, to, to coin a literary term, not, not knowing entirely what the story is, so you sort of go with everything that you've seen before in mind, hoping you can make something you haven't seen before. But you go with with the you know the accumulation of everything that everything visually or maybe things that you've read that that add up to what you think you might see there. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, you know, I'm 49 now. For me, uh, you know, growing up and you know being born in, in the mid 70s and into the 80s. Uh, so much of the of the pop culture and stories and and movies and books and sort of that zeitgeist of of you know the Soviet Union and Red Scare and you know I grew up in, in a really conservative family and I'm I've diverged pretty far from that now but um, it 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 played off of off of that right that this you know I'm there in 2015 was my first trip but. The things that I'm making up, make, making pictures of, uh, are feel totally frozen in in that time period. Uh, so it was sort of taking some of that, some of that language and and applying it to this place that was sort of still stuck in that time. Mm -hmm. And I want to kind of diverge just for a second, yeah, because please. I want to you know, ask you, you said that you grew up in a pretty conservative family. What did that look like? Um, I mean, actually it was, it was spectacular, right? I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Iowa. Okay. Um, you know, and I, I say conservative family, I think, I think, you know, the politics of, of my family wasn't, I don't think it was felt when I was young. I don't remember it being felt when I was young. Um, I think now I'm a little bit older and probably project a little bit more onto it. But, uh, you know, growing up, like I said, I grew up in the Midwest and I grew up um, in a small town in Iowa where, you know, both of my, my parents um, are still around and still married and, and I, I, you know, I love them to death. Uh, and they were, you know, they were, they were very good parents, but I was also given license to just roam, you know, I mean, I was sort of, um, I was sort of feral as a child, you know, like I just, you know, my brother and I and the neighbors, um, I was out all day and came home for dinner, you know, um, just exploring and running around and, you know, riding my BMX bike as far as I could 
possibly ride it right and mucking around. And um, my family comes from the farming communities further south of where we where we grew up, and we spent every other weekend on the farm at my grandparents' place. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a childhood of of um, of you know hunting things and scraping knees and getting dirty and and um huckleberry finn yeah kind of yeah absolutely you know i grew up on the banks of the mississippi river um and it was uh it was kind of not to get too sort of you know nostalgic but it was it was sort of of an idyllic uh upbringing in a lot of ways um and i couldn't have known it at the time and and i you know, it took me actually a really long time to sort of come around and find photography. But I, I look back now and I, I think about, um, you know, that that sort of those free range days. Uh, and it's what I'm doing now, what I'm drawn to, what I love is actually not that, not that far from, you know, those days of just spending all day out exploring, you know. Um, it's actually more, it's probably more similar than yeah, then I, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's pretty similar. <laughs> Just out there exploring with a camera. Um, yeah, I mean, not then, obviously, but yeah, for sure now. Um, totally. I mean, I, you know, I, I go to a certain place. You know, I'm sort of interested in this idea of, um, of exploited landscapes, right? I'm interested in, I'm interested in the things that we've brought to the place, the things that we've contributed, whether that's the road and the pipeline and the oil with the last road north, which was the, the large project before this, whether it's uh, the military and like I said, the, you know, the suburbanization of an Aleutian Island with Atomic Island. Like I, I'm, I'm interested in, yeah, going to, going to places that I think have, oh, you know, a, a sort of thread or, or metaphor or something that, that is, is, is bigger than um, my idea of the place and then go there and try to, you know, make the thing that I've got kicking around in my mind um, and just go into the place with the camera and just trying to work out visually the thing that I'm trying to communicate. Um, and that thing that I'm trying to communicate is really elusive and it's not something that you can kind of put into an elevator, you know, quick, 45 second bit. Um, but yeah, it's all about exploring, turn over rocks, you know. When you were in ADAC, what was it like to enter a home or a building and it looks like people just up and left, you know, leaving behind garbage and so much other man-made stuff? It's surreal. You know, it, it never, it never stopped being, uh, sort of surreal right the, the thing the thing that 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 is so overwhelming when you know my first trip out there is just the scale of the waste right mm -hmm. it's just just it, it's it's beyond beyond comprehension the the money and resources that it took to build that island um, the idea that something can be you know a, a, appropriated for a specific need and then be of absolutely vital importance until someone says it's not important anymore. Um, and in 97, the Navy 
walking away, right? You know, I wasn't there in 97, obviously. My first trip was in 2015. Uh, I would imagine in 97, you know, talking about people walking away and just walking away from, you know, plates sitting on the kitchen table. Uh, you know, it's been a lot of years since then, and and the weather and vandalism has just just destroyed, just destroyed the place. Um, but I imagine, yeah, in 97, 98, when, when things were buttoned up pretty tight and in the wind and mold and uh, people hadn't come and, and um, you know, broken windows and put holes in walls that, that, yeah, that it looked like a natural disaster or nuclear war or pandemic uh, had just decimated anything living and, and left everything else standing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. Every time that I see photos of ADAC, I just think of photos from atomic bomb testing in the Nevada desert. Hmm. You know, these, these homes that are made up and although they're filled with mannequins, they, they also seem a little deserted, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's funny. There, there is, um, there's quite a history of, of photography, be it Wendover or some other places in Nevada and Utah, uh, nuclear testing sites, retired Navy bases, uh, a lot of photographers in, in the Southwest and the West who have, you know, some made entire careers, some, you know, a body worker. So, uh, looking at, looking at those landscapes looking at that architecture mm -hmm. uh, and i definitely have have um you know looked at a lot of that work myself um even prior to going to adac and not knowing that you know even before knowing adac and looking at some of uh some of that work some of those pictures and and um i've carried yeah carried a lot of those with me into into the making of this work for sure it's a, there's a history a sort of lineage uh, you know a conversation that i do you know it sort of history is really uh important to me right like knowing what's been done um before knowing you know who's been in a landscape making pictures where maybe i'm going or or similar landscapes and how how i may you know be able to add something of value to an existing conversation, right? Like even somewhere like ADAC, it's not something that, you know, you don't see a lot of contemporary pictures of the place. Um, so you can kind of go out there and think, oh, I'm doing something new, uh, but really you're, you know, even, you know, it's, it's still adding to contributing to, um, you know, a conversation of, you know, of landscape photography at its core, you know, just a different, just a different landscape, I guess. Something that hit me while looking through Atomic Island was the juxtaposition between, you know, all that man-made stuff and the nearby ocean and the wildlife and other pieces of the natural world. Yeah, it's that, man, that, that, that juxtaposition, right? That, that, that sort of that sweet spot of, of what we've brought to the place and what the place looked like before we got there. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's a spot that, 
I, you know, probably spend the rest of my career, you know, existing in to some degree, right? Like it's, you know, when I, when I moved to Fairbanks in 05, just to kind of dig, kind of pull away and get some context for a second, when I moved to Fairbanks in 05, uh, my wife and I moved there, we got to, to Fairbanks in July, on July 8th um, in 2005. You know, and, and we, you know, we first got there, we, we spent a lot of time, um, you know, off the road system, you know, backpacking um, and pack rafting and skiing and and getting, you know, as far away from everything as we could to try to find, you know, the Alaska that we, you know, that, that everybody sort of thinks that they're, you know, that they're promised when they cross over the border before Toke, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, I made a lot of pictures when I first moved to Fairbanks of, of these great vistas, you know, unpopulated, um, wilderness, you know, off of the Hall Road and the Brooks Range, for instance. And they never entirely felt, when I get back to Fairbanks, I get back to town, I look at those pictures, and they never felt to me to be entirely genuine. And I make pictures in Fairbanks, um, a place that I, I, I still dearly love, um, but not a place that's, you know, conventionally beautiful, I would say. Uh, and I would make pictures of downtown, for instance, um, or be down around Cushman. And those also just did not feel uh, incredibly sincere. And I sort of recognized later that it was, it was the sort of the collision or the nexus of those things that I was really interested in. This sort of idea of of the promise of. Um, wilderness or the idea of the last frontier and the reality of the built environment, um, the reality of the things that we've made, that we've, for better, for worse, brought to the place, right? The things that we've contributed. You know, I can't live without, you know, that time spent um, in the wilderness or in the back country and it informs all of the time that I spend, you know, for instance, kicking around in a neighborhood in ADAC. Like I, I need, I need them both and they, they sort of inform each other, which I don't know if it entirely makes, entirely makes a lot of sense, but it's, um, and it's something that I still kind of, I don't know, not battle with, but I, I sometimes think that I'd be, if I felt really comfortable with, an unpopulated landscape and just sort of pure horizons, which sounds very idealistic, but uh, yeah, there's just something about it that just doesn't, it's never, it's never been that satisfying to me, you know? Um, I, I was just reflecting on this with, I think in a lecture a little while back that I, you know, we spent some time on the outer coast here in Southeast, right? Um, traveling or, you know, walking once from Latuya Bay up to Yakutat and then once from Cape Yakutat over to Yakutat and this, you know, for seven or eight days, just walking the beach, um, you know, 20 miles a day or whatever. And you've got, you know, if you're, if you're heading North, right, you've got the ocean on your left side the entire time. And it's just this, this, you know, wonderful horizon, sun coming up and sun going down. You're, you know, on a bear highway and there's bear tracks all day long. Um, and you sort of think that you could spend the rest of your life perfectly happy 
just walking that beach with everything that you need on your back, right? And that and that I could I could look at that horizon all day, every day, and be completely content. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the right side is, you know, the storm line with, you know, garbage from Japan and from China and fishing gear and all this stuff that's washed ashore during storms. Um, and photographically, I'm not as interested in that horizon to the left as I am all that garbage up in the weeds. And I don't know entirely why that's the case, right? And in an ADAC, those those seascapes, and sort of circle around your question here, those seascapes are are, you know, as much about that unpeopled space as it is the site of, you know, possible conflict as ADAC was a was a submarine surveillance outpost. And they were sort of a you know, they were a break or or a or a relief from the the you know sort of the the grotesqueness of some of that beaten down architecture in the same way that, that I thought about you know when I was in Fairbanks that they they don't work by themselves, right? They sort of need each other in order to to sort of again sit somewhere in the middle and kind of balance each other out. You know, I feel like a lot of what you're talking about gets to this idea of being able or even the inability to capture a thing as it actually exists. I wonder if you feel like you've been able to, you know, the the more that you you try to capture this this indefinable thing to capture the reality of a place or a feeling. Um no, I don't, I don't, I guess my answer is no. Um, because I, I think part of it is that I, you know, I recognize that, that what I'm, you know, what I'm able to do is such a small fraction of the totality of something, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, t- you know, we could send 20 of us to ADAC and all come away with something entirely different. You know, right? Like there are, you know, it's it's actually kind of a wonderful 
example because it's so sort of, of compact and contained. Uh, you know, we could all go as, as photographers um, or go as photographers and writers or painters or poets or philosophers or whatever, and everyone comes away with something with something else, right? Mm -hmm. um, I could have taken different decisions and different tacks and made something uh, different than what I than what I made. Um, and I think you know you sort of know when you're in the midst of something, often it's about what you don't include as much as what you do include. Um, so I guess part of it is sort of the knowledge of everything that was left out, right? And, and not and not sort of, of lamenting that and saying, oh, I should have left that in, but just knowing that there's there's so much, there's just so much more. And that sort of what, you know, what I'm, what I make or what I'm contributing or the small thing that I'm trying to um, say is, is, yeah, is a small, a small piece of a larger whole. I'm, I'm still, I'm so interested in kind of back to the very beginning of our conversation to some degree that I'm, um, I'm so much more interested in questions than I am interested in answers, mm -hmm. you know, which again, sort of that, that difference between art and say journalism, for instance, that I'm, I'm, I'm interested in um, nuance and something that you can't entirely pin down. Uh, you know, Atomic Island, you know, we very intentionally didn't, you know, I, I provide a little bit of context in the very back of the book that's sort of about as spare about amount of, of, of historical context as I, I could to just to give a little bit of uh, foundation to the place. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't label every, every site. There's not a caption in the book with the exception of the titles of the portraits. Uh, and that was by that was by design, right? That was by one, not to memorialize the place because, um, because it wasn't, you know, like it was, it was left the way we see it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if I entirely answered your question there, Cody, but no, you but, did. Uh, you, you yeah, actually yeah. answered, uh, I'm sitting here crossing questions off because you're actively <laughs> answering them. <laughs> I'm just, fr just free range and knocking them off there. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. <laughs> Looking through the book, uh, um, yeah. it looks like, you know, in addition to the photos you took, there are archival photos mixed yeah. in. Mm -hmm. What made you choose to include the archival stuff you did? You know, some of it was out of, to be quite honest, kind of out of necessity. I, th there were a lot of things that I, you know, looking online and some of the books that I had access to um, and thinking about what I might find on, on ADAC. Um, the uh, White Alice Tower, for instance, on the White Alice, um, there's a, a big hill sort of in the center of the mountain and there's, there's a, an image of the White Alice Towers um, that came from actually from a, a, a gentleman called Vance Lassard who I actually met online. Um, there were a few pictures of, there was one picture of the White Alice Tower online that I found. And, you know, there's pictures of the one that still stands in Homer and the one down in Kodiak. And it, it was one of those symbols of the Cold War that I was really interested in making a photograph of. Um, and that first trip to the island, uh, I didn't rent a vehicle that trip. I wanted to walk just to kind of 
you know, not pass anything by. And I walked all the way out there, mostly in the rain that day. And you get to the top of this hill and it's gone, right? They, they dismantled it. Um, and I sort of recognized that day that a lot of the, a lot of the markers of, of conflict, uh, even though there was no conflict actually on the island, but you know, the reason that it's there um, is the bombing of Dutch Harbor and, and, um, and the, the, the occupation, short time occupation of Atu and Kiska, that, that there wasn't, there weren't a lot of visual signs on the island that were going to point in either one of those directions. Mm -hmm. uh, and if I was going to make something that was larger than just what we call ruin porn, right? If it, if it had the potential to, to, to provoke thought or memory or discussion larger, further than just, here's a place of a bunch of abandoned buildings. I needed to provide, I needed to provide something. And I, and I recognized that the island, there just wasn't that there anymore. Uh, so pretty early on, I recognized that, that, that I would, I, I went looking for a picture of, of, of that, the, the White Alice Tower specifically in particular. Uh, and then once, then once that happened and I started digging into archives just online to start, uh, it was just too, it was kind of just too rich. Um, it expanded things in a way that I thought was really interesting uh, and just sort of muddied things up a bit and made things a little bit more uh, complicated, a little bit more visceral. Uh, I went up to the Anchorage Museum um, and sat in the archives there for a couple of days and uh, Zane, who was there at the time, just pulled out, you know, stacks upon stacks of, of, of pictures from there um, here at the, at the State Library here in Juneau, uh, that, that picture from, um, from Vance Lassard, whose, whose grandfather served on ADAC, and the picture that I have there of the, of the White Alice Towers. Um, they were, I just found them once I, once I went down that rabbit hole, I kind of couldn't see the work without them you know it's 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 the reason why all of that infrastructure's there mm -hmm. like there's there's no reason there for, you know there's no reason it, it's you know most of it's unoccupied right there's less than 100 people on the island now like there's no uh you know there's no future for you know hardly any building in the pictures uh so if there's no future without it just being a body of work that's about abandoned buildings if there's no future then you got to somehow talk about the past um so that's yeah so that's why the the archival images to what extent do you think the cold war and the memory of how it affected alaska is important to how we understand alaska today mm, such a good question um you know oh man such a good question, Cody. Um, you know, I think the work that I've done, right, whether it's, you know, oil up on the slope or, or military out west, right, it's, it's all work that's so specific about this particular landscape, right? Um, it's about sort of our proximity right um it's about sort of our our you know our wealth is about being kind of off the beaten path to some degree mm -hmm. um 
but it's also stuff that's just not sustainable, you know? Um, I look at a place like ADAC and it, it, it feels to me like, you know, the future of resource extraction, right? It feels like the future of things that are, are temporary, uh, finite, right? Again, this idea that, that something's of, of vast importance until it's not important anymore, right? Mm -hmm. This, this idea of what's, you know, what do we hold as being of value? What do we codify? Um, sort of dawned on me during kind of the tail end of this work and not something that um, sort of a, a, an after, um, not an afterthought, something that, that, you know, wasn't, wasn't a part of making the work, but once the work was done and sort of looking back on this work and, um, and the last road north in particular and sort of recognizing that subconsciously the work that i make is really to some degree sort of battling not battling with but but in recognition of uh my own history to some degree right and that you know i moved to alaska in 05 you know i'll never be entirely of this place right i'll always to some degree um, you know, al although, you know, we're not leaving and I, I plan on making a life's work here as a photographer, I'll always to some degree be sort of an outsider, right? That the things that I really love about this place and that keep me here um, are things that I have no right to or ownership of or history with, right? Um, you know, the landscape and, and you know, the... the the wildlife and 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 the oceans and the aurora like all, all these things that are of 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 such importance are things that aren't sort of part of my history um if i think about my history not just my history but sort of the history of where i come from mm -hmm. uh it's the history of stuff right it's the history of this built environment right it's it's the to be frank it's a history of colonizer too right mm -hmm. um i guess the thing that sort of a really long answer to your question is the thing that that i think can be kind of gleaned from it and, and to kind of go back to robert adams and in his making pictures on the front range of colorado is that is that it's you know it's it's here and we made it we brought it to the place uh we can't turn our back on it. We can't shield ourselves or our kids from it. We have to confront it and, and confronting it is, uh, for me is making, is making pictures. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, as, it's as much who we are as, as anything. Right. What can you tell me about some of the people you met mm -hmm. who live in ADAC full time? Yeah, it's man, there it's such an interesting place, right? Because there are, um, you know, there's not a lot of folks out there right now, um, less than a hundred. Uh, the, the, the cannery that when I was there, you know, over four years, three different operations tried to come through and get the cannery going again. Um, and when I left, it seemed like the, the Golden Harvest, the most re recent outfit, was 
maybe going to pull it together. There was a decent PCOD quote out there and, and um, I did a little bit of commercial work while I was out there working with some of the fishing boats and the harbor was, you know, chuck full of boats and, and the biggest, biggest peacock I've ever seen in my life. It was really, I thought maybe, you know, they were going to kind of turn it around and come this fall that all, all collapsed and, um, and the, the cannery owners have, have left the island. So they're kind of, I think sort of back to square one, but you know, it's a really small community sort of clinging to, um, uh, you know, Alaska Airlines still flies out there twice a week. Um, you've got, you know, trawlers or big fishing boats that are doing crew changes in and out of that harbor because of Alaska Airlines. You've got some federal workers that are still coming out there during the summers to do some ordinance evac. You've got, you know, some state programs for roads and things. Um, birders coming out to, to look for first sightings of wayward Asian birds that get stuck in jet streams and get pushed to, to ADAC. You've got some caribou hunters, some bird hunters, right? There's not, you know, the, the economy is, is, you know, pretty grim, right? Um, but some really amazing folks that are there for uh, the things that, that, that make an Aleutian Island wonderful and you would never have the access to it without the stuff that's there, right? Um, and the harbor, uh, you know, Alaska Airlines, like I said, still flies twice a week. Uh, so you've got really a small group of people kind of living in, in, you know, I talked about this idyllic situation growing up in, in Iowa running around. I mean, the kids that are running around at ADAC are, I mean, there's, there's, they've got it, they've got it made, right? Like there's, <laughs> there's, you know, there's, yeah. you know, there's, there's no cops for one thing, right? There's, um, you know, everybody knows everybody's business. Um, there's not, you know, a predator on the island. Um, you know, I think about everywhere else in Alaska, right? You might be worried about uh, bears or, or, you know, even moose in some areas. Uh, you know, there's, there's nothing, right? There's some caribou on the south of the island that want nothing to do with town. And you've got rats that are, you know, the size of wolverines. But other than that, <laughs> there's nothing, you know, there's nothing on the island, right? So they kind of have this this perfect existence. Um, but I think that, that you know, not to, put my, not to put words in anybody's mouth, but I think that there's also this, uh, you know, this very, you know, real, not a fear, uh, but a, but acknowledgement that, that things could kind of, you know, fold in on itself pretty quickly. Uh, Larry, who, who is um, one of the portraits in the book, uh, and the picture that I talked about, the sort of high vantage point of, of all the little candy colored houses in the, in the book of all the fo of all the houses in that entire picture, there's only one, one unit that's occupied little, little yellow unit that has a little blue bucket on one of the stove pipes. And that was his place just in the summers. He, he actually lives in Texas and comes up in the summers. Uh, and when I met him, I met him that day with his dog Sancho and driving around his Bronco and he was, back and forth between uh, a sockeye run up at the river um, at Camp at Andrew Lake at the north of the island, and then a coho run going through the creek right through the middle of town. And he was just running back and forth. He'd go to the north end of the island, catch a sockeye, throw it in the back of the truck, and then go to town and catch a coho, throw it in the back of the truck, go back north and get a sockeye like that was his, like that was his day. Yeah. Uh, which was, you know, sort of perfect. Um, and not that everyone's you know living that life, but it's it's a it's a it's a it's a pretty neat unique 
a pretty unique existence, you know, and I think he bought that place. I think he said for like five grand or something. Uh, and he, you know, he, he, he bought it and he's got that Bronco that, you know, that sort of is barely running, mm-hmm. uh, all the furnishings in, in the unit are, you know, they're all things that, that he could walk away from, right. Knowing that if, you know, if he learned one day that Alaska Airlines stopped flying to ADAC, uh, he kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and then just walk away from, walk away from that place. And it would, you know, it would eventually succumb to the landscape, like the 50 houses that surround, you know, the one that he, the one that he owns. Mm-hmm. So Larry lives in Texas in the wintertime and then mm-hmm. ADAC in the summertime. Yeah. Yeah. Not a bad deal. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought about buying a place for a while when he told me about that place for like five grand. I thought, well, <laughs> the money I'm, money I'm spending on rent coming back and forth. And, and, uh, anyway, I never, never my wife would kill me, but, um, <laughs> it's, uh, I was always a little, I was a little, yeah, I've always been a little, a little envious of Larry. Not a bad setup. I wonder if you talk to him about that in any capacity, you know, why, why ADAC? What what drew him there, and uh, maybe what the island means to him? You know, we we did talk briefly when we first met. He, um, him, and his wife saw, you know, one of the, one of the reality TV shows, uh, and it was somebody hunting caribou on ADAC. Um, and I think it was as simple as, you know, him saying to his wife, "Well." we should go do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think maybe, I think maybe him and his wife, the way he, the way he told it was we, you know, we, we came up here to go caribou hunting and we didn't get a caribou, but we bought a house kind of thing. <laughs> um, and just, you know, kind of got here or got there, uh, and looked around and was like, this is, you know, like, like I think a lot of Alaska, I, I think, I think a lot of people that maybe moved to Alaska, I know this was the case when we moved to Fairbanks was, you know, you kind of get off the plane and you get out of the car and you kind of look around and you're like, well, this is, I mean, this is so absurd. We kind of have to figure out a way to stay here, you know? Um, you know, the idea of moving to Fairbanks when we were in Colorado and um, my wife getting a spot at graduate school in Fairbanks and I had never, I couldn't tell you where Fairbanks was on a map before I moved there, to be quite honest, a little ignorant there, but, um, <laughs> and I looked online that day in December, it was like 37 below. Uh, and I'm like, what the, who the, why the fuck would anybody live there? You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Like what on earth? And it was, but it was like, well, why, why wouldn't you go? You know, like that's, that's absurd. That's, that sounds crazy. Um, so yeah, right. Let's, let's go do that. Uh, and I think that was, it sounded, you know, we didn't have any real deep conversations about it, but it sounded like, yeah, like, like Larry's outlook was probably sort of similar to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think to live, you know, to live in a place like that in a lot of places in Alaska, really, you know, and I kind of hesitate to, to sort of aggrandize too much about, about Alaska. Cause I think to some degree it's kind of you know, dangerous to some degree, but, um, but I think it is, you know, a lot of folks just, yeah, just sort of looking around and saying, this is, this is amazing and a little, a little ridiculous. Um, and you know, like, yeah, why not make a why not make a go of it, you know? Um, and, and ADAC is, it's super unique, right? Like I think, you know, spent, you know, a fair amount of time in small villages in, in Alaska. And it's, 
it's not like any any village that I've ever spent time in, right? Because I mean, because obviously it's not. But you think about a community in Alaska that's you know under a hundred people, um, and the the issues that a community like that might have, uh, and it's it's not it doesn't you know of all the troubles that that ADAC does have, it doesn't you know it's not hurting for infrastructure or for you know, electricity or for sewage and Alaska Airlines comes in twice a week, right? Like it's, it's sort of, it's kind of an impossible, it's kind of an impossible landscape. Like it doesn't, it doesn't pencil out, right? It just doesn't, it doesn't, there's nothing about the place that adds up at all, which, yeah, which makes it sort of fascinating. I think a lot of places in Alaska probably don't add up on paper. So on your website, you say that your work explores the exploited landscapes of Alaska, what we value, and what we bring to the space. Throughout your work, what is it that you've found that we value? Wow. It sounds corny. You know, I think for myself, right, like I, it's, you know, the, the thing that makes the place work, right, are, um, are the people, you know what I mean? Right. I think, you know, that, that bit on the website, I'm sort of talking about, you know, the value of, of landscape, right. The things that we, the necessity of things, the worth of things, um, you know, none of it works without, without everyone that sort of, you know, puts their shoulder into the work. Right. Um, you know, ADAC is, it would have been a lot, again, sort of the, the, the pictures and the experience are two totally different things, right? Mm -hmm. um, the pictures are of this place that's, that's, you know, dying or near dead, right? You know, there are, are, are a lot of people there, kids in particular there, um, that are, you know, that, that, that have a life that belies the place right um but i'm kind of always thinking for better for worse sort of past the sort of immediate and thinking you know kind of down the line as to what something's worth now what we perceive it as now and what the future of something is you know mm -hmm. um the last road north was largely about that right like what's you know what's what's the future of you know our dependency on oil in this state right what's the future of with with adac right what's the what's the future of sort of, of appropriating and and building landscapes like this um which you know which today you know, this, this wouldn't have happened today. There's not a necessity for it today, but it's also kind of a, it, it does speak to our hubris, right? To our need to conquer, right? Our need to build things and build them bigger just because we can, right? And what do you think it is that we bring to a space that we inhabit? Um, oh, I think there's, a, I think there's, there's, 
man, there's a lot to that, right? I think, um, I mean, ultimately we bring to a place, um, you know, intelligence and love and restraint, right? Mm -hmm. um, right, that we don't have to build, we don't have to build it bigger than it was before, right? That we can have a love and a respect and a reverence for a place and that we can exist in that place without um, destroying it, right? That we can, that we can, you know, that we can live together, that we can build community, that we can do it in a smart way, that we can do it in a way that's, that's, you know, progressive and better than we've done before. But that doesn't mean that it has to be bigger than it was before, that it has to consume more than it did before, right? Um, you know, I think about Alaska in particular, that, that, that the, I think there's, you know, that this is, this is very, uh, um, you know, this is, is a you know, vast generalization, right? But I think you, you could kind of put much of the state sort of in two camps, right? One that, one that thinks that the, that the worth of this state is the resources that we can pull out of the ground, right? Um, and then another camp thinks that, that the, the strength of this state is um, the silence and the vast open spaces that we can protect because they're unique to anywhere else, um, you know, maybe in the world because everywhere else is being built over, right? Again, crazy generalizations. Um, but I think that, that, that that's, that that's part of, of not so much the struggle, but the kind of the story of this place, right? You know, I, I struggle all the time with, with, I say I struggle all the time. That sounds really, um, sounds a little bit righteous, right? Um, I don't, <laughs> don't mean it, mean it to sound like that at all. Right. But this idea that, um, you know, sort of this idea that if you love it, you set it free, right? That this idea that, that, you know, to really love a place, the answer may be to walk away from it, right? Um, right, that, that if, if, you know, that if, if that place is really worth protecting, protecting means that, that um, you know, that you let it, that you let it be. And there aren't a lot of places in this world these days that you can go and, 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 and really, you know, really be away from it all, right? Like, I mean, really, um, you know, days in any direction, uh, not have the built environment, not have machinery, not have other people that you can really go and, and there be silence. Um, you know, I don't get to those places as often as I would like. Um, I don't have kids. Um, but I would, I would like to, I would like to know that my niece and nephew and their kids, there's still a landscape where they could, if they wanted to, um, go and be completely unencumbered by any of the things that we've, that we've brought, right? That you can walk into a landscape and be really, truly alone. 
mm. right? Which which is seems on a completely other different planet than the work that I'm making. Um, and it sounds probably really crazy, but but that that idea and that need still informs these pictures that are are not that right that 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 those two things can exist um that can exist at the same at the same time which probably doesn't make any sense at all but (laughs) (laughs) but there it is (laughs) well we've already established that um Uh, art is indefinable yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) Totally. Exactly. Thank you, Cody, for doing that. <laughs> yeah, it is right. It, it is. And that's, I mean, that's, it's, yeah, absolutely. You know, like I don't, I don't, yeah, you don't, you don't want it to be definable, you know? Yeah. Right? It takes the like, magic away. Totally. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you could, you know, if you could say what it was, um, Robert Adams has this great quote. I keep talking about Robert Adams and he, and I forget, um, Oh God, who was the, who was the poet? I think he said Robert Frost. It's probably not Robert Frost, but anyway, somebody uh, he's doing a reading and he reads this poem and the and the uh, and someone asks, "So what? So what was that poet poem about?" Uh, Robert Frost says, "You want me to say it worse?" Um, <laughs> I love that so much, right? Yeah. Like it's yeah, it's not it's not easy. There was no there was no punchline, right? There was no definitive answer. Mm-hmm. but but yeah but the words were enough and leave it leave it to me to talk all over the to talk all over the quote there but but uh yeah right that um yeah i don't want to know you know i want i want to i want to um yeah i want to i want to i want to stand in front of a painting and wonder you know right wonder and question and 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 have it take me somewhere else you know, mm-hmm. I think we all do. I hope we all do. Well, Ben, that does it for my questions. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for chatting with me today, man. It was and a real pleasure, Cody. I really, I really appreciate it. This was, uh, yeah, this was great. You know, I also wanted to thank you for sending the book. My wife and I have been looking through it all day. That's great. That's great. Thank you. I, um, yeah, I hope you guys, yeah, I hope you appreciate it. Thank you very much. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I don't, no, just um, just thank you. This this conversation was was really great. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate the thoughtful, I appreciate the thoughtful questions. For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit anchoragemuseum.org. This podcast was produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum, with additional help from Julie Decker. Chattermark's music is produced by Keys Open Doors.